together as we worship the Lord through song this morning. Singing out a great anthem, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. Let's sing this out together. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Wixom. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. There are no community group gatherings tonight. However, the building will be open for the church family tonight from 8 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. for New Year's. There is no schedule or game plan for tonight. We just want to open the gym for everyone who wants to celebrate New Year's together. Next Sunday, we will enjoy a church-wide lunch after the a.m. worship gathering followed by afternoon community groups here in the church building. If you are not yet connected with a community group, next Sunday would be a great way for you to meet new groups and get your family involved. Everything will be done by around 1.30. There will be a lunch in the cafe after the AM gathering on January 14th for everyone who is new to FBC. If you are new to FBC and have never been to a New Here lunch, please plan to join us for this event. The first session of the E3 Starting Points class will be 9.45 on January 28th in room 402. The Starting Points class is designed to engage attenders in church life by answering five key questions all about FBC. If you have never attended the Starting Points class, you are encouraged to attend starting on January 28th. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years to third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. 
If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Hope you had a great Christmas and looking forward to the start of a new year. Glad that you're here on this final Sunday of 2023. I want to mention just a couple of things. Our goal in Sunday school class is to have something for everybody. And one of the ways that we try to accomplish that is through our modular class. And uh, that class changes every seven or eight weeks. A new session of that just began this morning. So there's a men's class that's going on. And then there's also a new class starting next week called Methods of Bible Study. And uh, we hope that you'll plan to participate in the 945 Sunday School Hour. As you saw on the video this morning, on the 28th, on January 28th, the uh, E3 Starting Points class starts again. This begins twice or this happens twice a year and uh, if you're new to First Baptist Church in any capacity maybe you're only here temporarily or you're here visiting or you're thinking about membership or maybe you're a new member and you haven't gone through starting points yet this class is for you we hope that you'll come it's really a fun and informal class and it'll be very very helpful to you that starts at 9:45 on Sunday morning January the 28th We've been trying to give you a few things to remind you and help you remind others of the series of messages that we'll be going through in 2024. We've actually already started this series on following Jesus. And one of the things that we've got for you is this little magnet to put on your refrigerator or your car or something else that it'll stick to that'll start conversations about what we're doing as a church, and that is seeking to follow Jesus in 2024 in a more practical and biblical way. And so these are available at the table in the back, and we encourage you to stop and pick one up after our gathering this morning. So good to have each of you here. A special welcome to our guests that are in town for the holidays. We're glad that you're here with us today. We hope that our worship service is an encouragement and a blessing to you. Let's pray together as we begin this morning. Father, we're so grateful for all of the good things that you've done for us. We think back just over this last week and we think about the celebration of the arrival of Jesus, the Savior, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, Lord, that came in flesh for the purpose of living a perfect life and dying for our sin. Thank you for our Savior Jesus, and thank you for the opportunity to celebrate him even more this past week. As we look forward to the start of the new year, we want to say thank you for 2023 and the many blessings of it. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you today, and we ask that you'd be glorified, that Jesus would clearly be preeminent in this body, and we pray this in his name. Amen. close out, we prepare to close out this year leading into 2024. I want to spend some time thinking through the blessings that we've experienced from our Almighty God this morning. As we sing out 10,000 reasons, I want us to think through that. If we really thought about from the beginning, when we wake up in the morning, to the end of the day, everything in between, we think through all those little bitty details of how God blesses us and how God's provided for us and given us a reason and a hope through the gospel. It really is something to stop and praise the Lord about. Amen.
Let's stand together as we sing this out, thinking through those details, those reasons, 10,000 of them. Let's praise God this morning. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your
Father, that's what we want to do today. We want to live our lives in such a way and lift our voices clearly to exalt the preeminent Savior, the head of the church, the head of this church, Jesus Christ. As we look at his life today and in the year to come, we ask that you'll help us to lift him up for one another, to not only cheer on each other to follow him more faithfully, but to worship him more efficiently and more effectively this year. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can celebrate your son in this way, and we pray that you'll help us as we look into your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about this series of messages. We're excited to preach through the life of Jesus chronologically. And if you've read through the Gospels and if you've studied them in parallel at all, you probably know that in order to study the life of Jesus chronologically, you have to skip around a little bit. The Gospels are not chronological with each other. They're not necessarily chronological in themselves because the authors are not necessarily giving a history lesson about Jesus. They're teaching us lessons through his life. And so they're easy. The Gospels are easy to read. They're not necessarily easy to get those details in the proper order. We're going to try to do that as a church this year. But there's also a challenge in preaching the Gospels, I want to be clear about, because as we seek to understand them, we have to realize what we are reading. Some have described the Gospels as biographical sermons. I think that's probably a good way to describe them. But the challenge is that as you read through the Gospels, you see actually different genres. We're going to talk about parables eventually, and parables have to be understood in a special way. You have to take care in applying and studying parables. Those are different than miracles. Miracles are great. They're encouraging. They're exciting. They teach us about the heart of God and the heart of Jesus for hurting people. They're a little hard for us to emulate, right? It's hard for us to apply. Hey, go out and do some miracles because Jesus did. Obviously, that's not the point of studying miracles. They're a little bit different than the apocalyptic literature, which talks about the end times. Jesus talks quite a bit about end time events, and so we have to be use care in studying those with the rest of Scripture. Much of the Gospels is narrative form. It's telling the historical account of Jesus, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. 
There's sermons in the Gospels. In fact, many of the, the sermons of Jesus are where we will spend a lot of time in the coming year hearing what Jesus has to say. But it's important to remember the sermons are a little different than sermons today, primarily because Jesus was preaching pre-cross. Jesus was living, even though we think of the Gospels as New Testament Jesus' life was lived in Old Testament times. I mean, until the cross, until the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, until the creation of the church, that he was really under the law. And so you hear a lot of discussion in Jesus' preaching about the law. His discussion about salvation is slightly different than the message of the apostles after his death and resurrection. He was actively being rejected by the Jews. And so the gospel purpose and scope is actually growing even as he speaks. And we have to understand that as we work through the gospels. Additionally, each of the writers, sometimes referred to as the evangelists, the four men that share the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of the writers has a unique purpose. And because of that purpose, they emphasize different things. Matthew tends to emphasize Jesus as king. And he brings us Jesus from a Jewish perspective. Mark emphasizes the suffering and the serving of the Son of God. Luke emphasizes the fact that he's the Son of Man and Savior for all mankind. John is actually the clearest purpose statement, has the clearest purpose statement in his book. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, it says that the other signs that Jesus did... Um, are not written in this book, but these are written, John says, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. This is John's purpose, but this is really the purpose of all of the Gospels, not just to introduce us to Jesus as a historical person, but to call us to faith in Jesus. And that's why these are called biological or biographical sermons. It's about a life, a person, a real person that lived in history, Jesus, but we're called to live a life of faith following Jesus. And so if you are an unbeliever, the, the, the point of this study is to say, hey, you should follow Jesus with us. If you are a believer, the point of this series is to get you to have deeper faith in Jesus and to follow him more tangibly this coming year. Today's message is a narrative section from Matthew and from Luke. And as I mentioned earlier, narratives have their own challenge in preaching. They're great to read, they're a little harder to preach because they're mostly informational rather than applicational. Just because somebody did something doesn't necessarily mean there's a spiritual lesson there for us, right? And it's sometimes tempting to force a spiritual lesson in, but it's not there. So just because somebody did something doesn't mean there's a spiritual application. And it doesn't necessarily mean we should do what they did, right? There's people in the Gospels and there's people in Scripture who did things we clearly shouldn't do. And so we have to be careful with narratives. But here's the beautiful thing about the narratives in the gospel. Most of them are telling us about Jesus. And Jesus' life is worth studying. Everything that he did, every word, every miracle, every parable, every sermon, every movement, every decision, every conversation that Jesus has is a sermon for us. 
We should, like the Apostle Paul, want to know him better. I just want to know Jesus more clearly. I want to mimic his life, follow his example. And so for us, the narratives that tell us about Jesus really take on this this really profound nature for us because we want to learn who Jesus is. So we started this series of messages a couple of weeks ago with a message from John 3, verse 30, that says that Jesus must increase, but John the Baptist said, I must decrease. Following Jesus is about lifting him up, making sure that we remind one another that he is preeminent. This morning, Jeremy just sang a song for us. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. That it, that's it. That's the message of the church. That is the message of this series. That is, should be the message of each of our personal testimonies. It's about Jesus. And I challenged you at Christmas to graduate to the adult table, the big kids table, and to think of Christmas not just about a baby in a manger, but about a Savior that was going to change everything. Secondly, we looked at the worship of Mary in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1. Basically, she said this, Look, God, whatever you want to do with my life, that's what I want you to do. Use me. I sacrifice my life to your purpose. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. If you're going to follow me, you need to reject your own plans and accept my plans for your life. This is the act of worship God wants from us. Lord, would you use me? Would you save others? And would you glorify yourself? Use me, save others, and glorify yourself. So this morning, I want to preach the third of three introductory messages. We're not going to get quite into the ministry of Jesus yet today. This is still laying a little bit of groundwork, so I ask for your patience this morning. But I want to preach a message I've entitled, It's About to Begin. I want you to think about anticipating the new year and anticipating learning a little bit more about Jesus. I've told you a little bit about my two little puppy dogs, Lolly and Fancy. And let me tell you something about these two, okay? They're not very smart. Like, I think maybe their brains are the size of a walnut, maybe a small walnut, okay? And I'm not sure they use them all the time. But let me tell you something that they get instinctually. They know when we're in Wixom. Can you believe that? Like if we go on a long trip, they know that you get off on a long exit and you usually have to sit at a stoplight and then you do about 49 miles an hour up Wixom Road and then you usually have to stop at another stoplight and then you go real slow and mom and dad both turn our heads and look at the church building on the way past just to make sure it's still standing and then we stop at a stoplight and then we go real slow and we turn into our driveway and if you have a pet, you know what I'm talking about, like the moment we get off on Wixom Road, they're like, two ears are up. Right? And we start slowing down and we go through Wixom Road and they're getting more excited, more excited. We turn on Maple Road. They know for sure we're home. What is that? It's anticipation, right? They're excited. They know it's about to happen. We get to be in our own backyard again. And this is, this is really where we're at in Luke chapter 2 because as we get to the end of Luke 2, Luke is ramping up for the ministry of Jesus. It's about to begin. He's about to tell us all about the Savior. And so we're going to look at his childhood briefly. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you probably know that Matthew and Luke are the only Gospel writers that talk about the childhood of Jesus. Matthew does sort of from a historical perspective, so kind of at a distance. 
Luke does much more personally, and as I told you last week, I think that's because he probably interviewed Mary. He probably sat down with Mary and talked to her about the childhood of Jesus. But in Luke chapter 1, at the very beginning of Luke, he introduces his gospel with these words. Many have set forth to declare the things which are most surely believed among us. Others have written the history of Jesus. And then he says in verse number three, it seemed good to me also having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of these things. Luke implies that he has interviewed the eyewitnesses and he's about to bring us an account that is more detailed than any other gospel writer. And by the way, he is more detailed than any other gospel writer, particularly about this time in Jesus' life before his public ministry begins. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the movements of Jesus and his family. And throughout this series, we're going to show several maps kind of helping to illustrate where Jesus is at at this point in his ministry. If you didn't this morning pick up on the back table, there are maps available for you to put in your notebooks. And we'll be updating those with several new maps that you'll want to pick up throughout the year. By the way, if you don't have one of our notebooks that we use on Sunday mornings and for small groups on Sunday nights, those are available for you. When you go out these doors and you turn right, Johnny will be out there after the morning service this morning, and there's notebooks for you, and if we don't have the color you want, we'll even order the color that you want. We only ask that if you're 18 and below that your parents pick the notebook up for you and only take one if you're going to use it. But if you get a notebook, you can put these maps in there and kind of follow along with us, and we think it'll really help you as we study the life of Jesus. As you know, Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. Nazareth is up there at the very top in the north part of Israel. This is where Mary and Joseph were from. And Luke chapter 2 reminds us that there was a census, a tax that was taking place, and they had to go to their birth town or their hometown. And so Joseph took Mary before Jesus was born, and they went down to Bethlehem. After Jesus was born, they went back up to Jerusalem, partway back home, for dedication of Jesus at the temple. And this is where we saw last week Simeon and Anna meet Jesus. And both of them recognize that Jesus is the answer. He is the Messiah and they worship God. Then we talked about the visit from the Magi in Bethlehem. Apparently, Joseph and Mary decided to stay in Bethlehem for a while. And the Magi, scripture says in Matthew chapter 2, come from the east and they recognize him as the Messiah. I would encourage you to take your map if you've got a pen and maybe just kind of sketch some of those movements just to kind of get an idea of where these people are at at this point. And then scripture says in Matthew chapter 2 that an angel comes to Joseph and warns him, Herod wants to kill the baby, so flee to Egypt. So off they go to Egypt, far off to the west and south they head to Egypt and spend some time there. Bible scholars think probably just a few weeks perhaps before Herod actually passes off the scene. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 19, the angel comes back to Joseph and says, Hey, Herod's gone. You guys can move back to Nazareth. And so they take the path along the Mediterranean Sea and head straight back to Nazareth, presumably. And Matthew chapter 2, verse 23 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets 
that he would be called a Nazarene. So this is the kind of the, the movements. They went down from Nazareth to Bethlehem, back up to Jerusalem, then off to Egypt after a while, and then back up to Nazareth um, where Jesus grew up. This is where he was from. Today we want to spo- uh, focus for just a few moments on the development of Jesus as a person, as a person. This is a great question. What would Jesus do? You've heard that question asked before, right? One of the staff was reminding me this last week, said, you know, that, that question should be on our mind for the entirety of 2024. Like, what would Jesus do in any particular situation? Mari showed me a meme yesterday that showed a little bracelet that actually said uh, Jesus would probably not have got himself into this terrible situation, right? But it's hard to fit on a bracelet, right? For most of us, that's really the problem. Like, I got myself into a mess. What would Jesus do to get out of this mess? The maturing of Jesus as a human is theologically complicated, right? Just think about it for just a second. Here's God in a human form as a baby, Think how strange that must have been for his parents, for Mary and Joseph as they raised him. Here's God in human flesh. I mean, just, that's complicated, right? And when did he realize who he was? And when did he realize what he could do? I I was talking with Holden this last week, and I I told him, I said, I kind of like to think that he probably used his miraculous power at times just for fun. You know, I mean, as a kid, Mary knew the first miracle of the changing of water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Mary knew he could take care of the problem. So apparently there had been times before where she had said to him, hey, you know what? (laughs) We're running out of flour. I'm either going to need you to go get some or I'm going to need you to make some. One of the two, right? I mean, just imagine God in human form living in their house and Luke did not need to share these details with us, but he does. And so there's a purpose. No words of Scripture are wasted. In fact, I think in a similar way to creation, God didn't need to use six days and rest on the seventh, right? He just spoke things into existence. So he didn't need to use six days, but he did. And we have it in Scripture as a what? As a pattern so we can learn from it. And I think in a similar way, we read these details about the growing of Jesus as a human so that we can learn from them, so that perhaps we can even emulate these things. Anything about Jesus, I want more of in my life. And so for a few moments this morning, I want to think about these verses at the end of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse number 40, where scripture says this, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Just three things real quickly about Jesus' development as a person, as a young person. Number one, he developed in his inner man. And verse number 40 tells us that he was strong in spirit. He was strong in spirit. Now, I was thinking about this this week. If Luke was uh, interviewing Mary, and Mary was talking about her boy, you know how moms talk about their boys, right? Like, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. Like, I never ask my mom how the sermon went. Because she always says, good, son, you're amazing, right? I mean, that's the way moms are. That's the way they're supposed to be. Um, but Mary probably had really fond memories of Jesus growing up. And she probably said to Luke, he was a strong boy in here. 
Like you could just tell he had a strength of spirit. This is something that is highlighted throughout Scripture, actually, inner strength. It's something that the Apostle Paul says, hey, I pray this for the churches, and this is something that you should seek to have, inner strength. Are you feeding your spirit, Galatians chapter 5? Are you exercising your faith, 1 Corinthians 10 through 12? Are you doing the things to create a stronger inner man? That's something that Scripture highlights for us. Jesus as a young man, young man waxed strong in spirit. Secondly, he was filled with wisdom. Filled with wisdom, Luke 2 and verse number 40. You know, wisdom is important. We talked about the, our God is the God of wisdom. We spent some time talking about this idea. Wisdom is living life well in light of eternity. Proverbs remind us, reminds us that wisdom is the principal thing. It's the most important thing. Therefore, get wisdom. James reminds us that God is the source, so if you lack wisdom, you should ask him. Let's just think logically for just a second. If wisdom is the most important thing and God is the source, and if we ask, he gives it, what should we be doing? We should be asking for it, right? All the time, we should be asking for wisdom. Here, Jesus, as a young man, Wax strong in spirit, he's filled with wisdom, and the grace of God is upon him. God's grace. We've defined God's grace several times in the past, but this is good things that are undeserved. The, the interesting thing about Jesus is that he deserves good things, right? He deserved God's grace. Like no other human ever before, Jesus actually deserved the favor of God. We do not deserve the favor of God, but we have it. I think it's interesting that Luke describes him this way. What does that mean, that the favor of God was upon him? Is the favor of God on you? If the favor of God is on you, do you recognize it? Do other people recognize the favor of God on you? Now, the, the foundation of a grateful life is realizing that everything I have is undeserved. Right? You think about it's a silly illustration. Like, pretend that you have a rich uncle, and your rich uncle has a home that he rents out on VRBO or Airbnb, and it's on an island, and it's a mansion. You know, it's like an eight-bedroom, eight-bathroom, private pool, jacuzzi, giant screen TVs, or that kind of place. And he says to you, I'd just like to have you to have it for a couple of weeks. Just go enjoy your time with your family. And you go, and you walk in, you're like, man, this place is unbelievable. This is amazing. And you try to connect to the Wi-Fi, and the Wi-Fi is broke. Are you going to call your uncle? You're like, what's the deal? This is a scam. The Wi-Fi is down. What in the world? I traveled all this way, and the Wi-Fi doesn't work. No, you're not going to do that, probably, because you're like, this is a gift, right? And if I expect nothing and realize I deserve nothing, then anything good is, is something I can give thanks for. And this was... Jesus is a young man. Others, as they watched him, said, wow, the favor of God is on him. There's a contentment. There's a recognition of God's grace in his life. But I want you to see also that he established right priorities. In Luke chapter 2, again, verse number 41, we read this account of Jesus with his family going to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, that's interesting in and of itself. Who is Passover all about? 
Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. The Passover lamb for hundreds of years has been illustrating Jesus. He's going to die on Passover week. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Passover is all about him and he's 12. And he's walking with his family and they're singing some of the Psalms of Ascent that that we talked about during our Psalms series this past year. They're singing together and they're celebrating how great God is and they're, they're going to celebrate this incredibly important feast together. And here's Jesus. He knows Scripture perfectly. It's his word. He can see the hypocrisy of the religious leaders perfectly clear. He knows that this celebration is about him, but nobody else does. So here he is as a 12-year-old boy with his family entering into Jerusalem for the feast. And it says in verse number 43, And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. They were probably in a large company, maybe a couple hundred people from Nazareth that had come down together. They're headed back. And Mary thinks Joseph's got him, and Joseph thinks Mary's got him. And like some of us, they left one of their kids behind, right? So Joseph, or Jesus is left in Jerusalem, and in verse number 48, when they saw him, they found him at the temple talking to the religious leaders. And they said, Son, why have you dealt with us this way? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. (laughs) Mary was starting to get worried. They thought they had lost him. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Like, didn't you know I would be here? I'm at the temple. I'm talking to the religious leaders. Wist ye not, or did you not understand that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. Jesus was laser focused as a 12 year old on doing what God had created him to do. On fulfilling the Father's will. On doing what he preached in Matthew chapter 6. Seeking first the kingdom of God. And then letting all the other things in life follow after. That God would provide those things. In John chapter 4 when he was witnessing to the woman at the well. Remember the disciples like normal men were like hey let's go eat. And they bring food back for Jesus. And Jesus says I've got food to eat that you don't even know about. And he was referring to doing the Father's will. He said, I get total satisfaction about doing the Father's will. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus then submitted himself to his parents. So even though he was all about his father's business, he was submissive to his parents. It's possible. Did you know this? To be so focused on the kingdom that we're offensive to other people or disobedient to Scripture? Like, I'm trying to advance the gospel of Jesus so I can break the law. No, you can't. Or so I can I can be disobedient or I can be disrespectful or I can whatever. Actually, no, Jesus actually demonstrates here for us. Look, you can do both. You can advance the priorities of the father and you can submit yourself to the rules of the kingdom. One of which is to obey and honor your parents. Verse number 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Jesus got the balance right, and he did it humbly and submissively. Now think about, for just a second, how much discipline this would take. Jesus was God of the universe. Okay, Jesus, remember, he wasn't created at Christmas. He had always existed. So Jesus 
was part of creation. He, he was the creator. He was there when everything was made. In fact, Paul said in Colossians that everything was made by him and for him and without him was not anything made that was made. This is the creator God. And he says to Mary and Joseph, I'll submit. I'll submit my power. I'll submit my authority. I'll submit to you because this is the right thing to do. Jesus had his priorities right. And then thirdly, he increased and grew. Now, honestly, verse number 52 is just about a kid growing up. Okay, so Jesus increased and grew like all of our kids do. He got smarter. He got bigger. And he got more pleasant to be around. Hopefully our kids are like that, right? He increased in favor with God and man. People loved being around this young person. But just for just a moment, think about increasing in wisdom. Think about 2024. Let me give you just a couple of ideas about increasing in wisdom. Don't you want to grow in 2024? Don't you want to be better? Don't you want to be more real? Don't you want to follow Jesus more authentically in 2024? I hope that you do. Can I give you a really quick 10? I know a list are dangerous because we fall asleep on like three, okay? But let me give you 10 ways to increase in wisdom and I'm going to give them to you super quick, all right? Number one, be conversational. Conversational. And by that I mean this, talk to wise people and listen to them, especially if you're young. Talk to wise people and listen. Number two, be internal. Reflect on truth rather than react. If you're a young person, particularly, you're used to a world in which everything is a reaction. Social media is often just about reactions. The news is about the reaction. The talking heads on TV are about reactions. But Christians should be reflecting on truth rather than just reacting. Number three, be careful. Avoid sin, especially the foolishness of electronic media. Number four, be intentional. Have a plan for learning and developing. Be intentional. Number five, be restful. Turn off electronics and get some sleep. That's pretty practical. Number six, be thoughtful. Seek quality input over quantity. Number seven, be humble. Learn from other people. Number eight, be comfortable. And by that I mean be okay with being out of the loop on stuff that has no eternal benefit. That's okay. Number nine, be more physical than digital. Go outside and seek God in creation. And then number ten, be biblical. You can't get too much truth. So get some more in 2024. Be biblical. Jesus, he increased in wisdom. He increased in stature in his maturity And then he increased in favor with God and man. And Mary, Scripture says in verse number 51, watched this and pondered it. She watched it and pondered it. Think about what this must have been like. Just just one more thought about this. I was just intrigued this week thinking about Jesus as a young man. We had my great nephew in the house yesterday. And little kids are so cute and they're so fun to be around. They bring so much joy Right? And you can kind of see what's going on. When you look him in the eyes, you can kind of see the wheels turning. Right? Now, can you imagine that being the God man? Mary says, Jesus, time to go clean your room. And he looks at her out of the corner of his eye. And she's like, I know who you are. 
just go, please go clean your room, right? I don't know, maybe Jesus kept a perfectly clean room all of the time. But there no doubt were times where Mary told him what to do and then remembered, oh, that's right, you're the creator. You're the king. You're God in the flesh, right? There had to be interesting moments like that. And I think that's what Luke's getting after when he says twice in verse number 19 and then in verse number 51, Mary watched, pondered, and stored these things up in her heart. Like, this is super interesting because the God-man, he's fully God, but he's growing up as a human. This is so awesome to watch. For her, there must have been great anticipation. I think this is why when we read about the first miracle at the wedding in Cana, when she's like, do something awesome, she was probably anticipating him to start his ministry at any moment and just could not wait. So I want to just draw a couple of conclusions real quickly as we finish up. Number one, let's, before, I, before I get that, let me just remind you, Luke is not telling us what to do here. This is not a sermon. This is not a, um, instructions for the church. He is not telling us what to do. I want to make sure you understand that. He's just laying groundwork for Jesus' life. He's not even telling us here to be like Jesus. That's not his point. But we carry the name Christian, which means little Christ. So we should more and more look like him, act like him, think like him. We should know him and we should know how he developed. What was it that Luke, the careful doctor and the detailed writer, what was it that he wanted us to know about Jesus as he developed as a young man before he started his public ministry. Well, he wanted us to know these three things, that he strengthened his inner man, had right priorities, and he increased. He grew. I do think there's some lessons for us here to consider for the upcoming year. Number one, in strengthening your inner man. Just briefly, is there something that you can do to feed your spirit to strengthen your spiritual life this year? Some of you this morning considered a step of faith already. You said, I might go to that starting points class. I might engage a little deeper with the church. I might consider discipleship. I might even think about giving a little bit, right? In 2024, there was a thought that passed through your head in the announcement video or during the beginning part of the service or as Jeremy was singing and you thought, you know, 2024, I might do a little more strengthening your inner man. In order to do that, can I just tell you what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, you have to do? This is what Paul says, and you cannot get away with not doing this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. In order to strengthen your spirit, you've got to kill some flesh. That's the hard reality. In order to strengthen the spirit, you've got to kill some flesh. So, if I'm going to turn on something spiritually in 2024 and grow, I've got to turn off something fleshly. What is it you know nobody else really needs to know? What is it that God is saying to you, hey, turn this off, starve this part of your flesh in 2024 so that you can strengthen your spirit? Number two, what about priorities? Can I just real quickly just review with you some priorities we've talked about before? Maybe these are out of whack your relationship with God through Jesus Christ is number one. If you don't know 
what it means to be saved, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that is priority numero uno, okay? Make sure you're right with God through Jesus. And by the way, that's what we should be working on is strengthening that relationship. Number two, if you're married, I think your spouse comes second, okay? So after your relationship with God that you would work on your marriage. Maybe this is the year, maybe 2024 is the year for a weekend to remember or some other marriage retreat or finally reading that book you've been talking about reading together or finally getting some counseling that you've been talking about or finally starting marriage mentoring in 2024. Number three, discipling your family. Maybe 2024 is the, is the year you uh, enroll in the summer parenting class in Sunday school or you get some help with disciplining your kids or whatever. Number four, your ministry. Maybe this is the year you really start getting involved in ministry. I think after that comes your job and hobbies and all those kinds of things. But you get those top four right, relationship with God, your spouse, your children, your church. I think the others will fall into place. And then lastly, seek intentional maturity. Seek intentional maturity. Can I just tell you, look, this is not in Luke chapter 2, okay? This is just... Brad speaking, okay? But here's some ideas about maturity. I was thinking this week about things that adults typically do better than kids. Can you think about things that adults typically do better than kids? Usually they make better food choices. Are you with me? Like most kids want to try to live on Fruit Loops. Are you with me, kids? Like, yeah, I'd love to try to do that. Most adults know you can't do that. You have to say no to yucky stuff, food, the stuff that tastes good but is bad for you. And you have to say yes to the stuff that tastes bad but is good for you, okay? <laughs> most adults know that. They've got to make that mature decision. I think there is a spiritual metaphor there. Again, it's not in Luke chapter 1. But I'll just tell you that mature people make right choices about what goes in both physically and spiritually. Secondly, something else that I think adults are better than kids at is that they have regular patterns of rest. Kids, particularly little babies, am I right, Laura, are up at all, the, all hours of the night, right? It's just really hard to know when a kid's going to sleep. But adults have a regular pattern of sleep. Some of you adults are like, man, I get up at 6 o'clock for my job and on vacation I get up at 6 o'clock, right? It's like my body is stuck in this rut. I can't get out of it. But this is, this is spiritually speaking, I think there's a metaphor. There's a lesson there for us that mature believers are in a pattern of regular rest and worship. Thirdly, something adults do better than kids is they produce rather than consume. Are you with me? Anybody else raise any freeloaders? I had a few. They're all producing now, praise God. But that's what happens when we grow up, right? We actually give back to society and our community and our church and our family rather than just taking. When we're little, that's all we do is take. And I think there's a spiritual metaphor there. What do adults do? They eat right, they rest right, and they serve others. These are things I think that spiritually we can do as we think about developing intentional maturity in 2024. And then lastly, and maybe this is the most biblical application of all, okay? So I took a little bit of liberty looking at Jesus' life and saying, okay, are there some spiritual lessons there for us? But I'll just tell you that here I think is a biblical application. And that is that Luke emphasized these things about Jesus probably because Mary emphasized these things about Jesus. Is there a call for us to develop in our children and grandchildren these things? I think so. 
If you were here on Wednesday night, Holden was speaking from Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read the Shema, which is the great call of worship for Israel. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, listen, the Lord your God is one God, one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he says this, And you shall obey what he has said for you to do. And then you shall teach it to your kids. It's not enough to hear it, not enough just to obey it, but you've got to teach it to the next generation. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we read these words of Moses where he says, tell them when you're laying down and tell them when you're sitting up and tell them when you're having dinner and tell them when you're going to bed and tell them when you're getting up in the morning and tell them about God all of the time that they might do these things, strengthen their inner man, develop in wisdom, have right priorities and intentionally grow up, nurture an admonition of the Lord May we make this a more intentional effort in 2024. Now, we're going to close a little bit different this morning as the final Sunday of 2023. We wanted to celebrate communion, and here's why we want to do this. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, in fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you just want to flip over with me for just a moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says in verse number 24, this do in remembrance of me. If you have a red letter Bible, you know those are the words of Jesus. In verse number 25, it says in remembrance of me. Paul says in verse number 26, do this until he comes as an act of remembering. Well, where does that come from? It comes from Luke chapter 22, verse number 19, where Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And he says, from now on, I want you to break bread and I want you to enjoy juice together as a remembrance of me. This is where Paul gets these instructions. It's all about remembering Jesus. I think it's appropriate as we anticipate following Jesus in 2024 through the Gospels that we remember him. We remember his birth. We remember him as a boy. We remember him as a man. But then this morning, that we don't lose track of the fact that he's the Savior. That's, that's who he is. That's why he came. It was not about a manger. It was not even about a, a child growing up. It was about a Savior who was going to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins, and give us the opportunity for eternal life. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask the deacons just to come up, if you would, to the front, and Johnny, come help me as we prepare to serve. And I just want to remind you of a couple of things in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, by way of instruction. We practice in our church what we call close communion. And so if you're a guest here today, we want you to participate and enjoy, if you're a follower of Jesus, Because here's what scripture teaches clearly. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, which means you've turned from your sin and you say, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I trust Jesus to be the payment for my sin, to give me eternal life. If that's you, then then we want you to participate. If you'd like to, you don't have to. We want you to participate. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you shouldn't participate. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in fact, he gives a warning. He says, examine yourself. Don't participate unworthily. This is only for people who are in Jesus Christ. That's why it's called communion. It's for people who are in Jesus, who have communion with Jesus and one another, to celebrate him in remembrance. That's why we do this, a celebration of Jesus together. And so in just a moment, 
the men are going to bring little uh, wafers around, bread, broken, to illustrate the body of Jesus and juice to illustrate the blood of Jesus. And we simply do this in remembrance. If you've never seen communion before, it can seem a little bit different for you perhaps. But this is a celebration of Jesus and it's something he commanded and the Apostle Paul then commands in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so we do together as a church with other believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul actually says, I received from the Lord something I want to tell you about. The, the King James language is, I deliver this unto you. God gave me a message that I want to give to you. And then he starts talking about that time when they were celebrating the Passover together and Jesus changed the rules, which he gets to do. And he says, the Passover is no longer about an actual lamb. And it's no longer about getting leaven out of your house, which is what they did on Passover to illustrate getting rid of sin. Jesus said there's, there's actually a spiritual meaning here. It's about getting rid of sin and it's about celebrating the lamb. And that's me, Jesus. The one whose body is about to be broken and the one whose blood is about to be spilt. And so he says this, and when he had given thanks, he prays and thanks God. He breaks the bread and says, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so we follow that pattern. We're going to pray. We're going to thank God for the broken body of Jesus. We'll pass out these wafers and then together we will share them in remembrance of Jesus. So men, would you please stand together if you would. And I'm going to ask Mark, if you would, to thank the Lord for the broken body of Jesus before we celebrate. Go ahead.
Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Man, would you please stand again? And Brother Steve Zachert, would you thank the Lord for the spilled blood of Jesus? Again, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that after the same manner also, Jesus took the cup when he had 
supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. Again, I want to remind you to remember Jesus as a baby, as a boy, as a man, but most, most importantly, as a Savior. I want to remind you that as you go today, the guys will be in the back with offering plates. That's for our benevolent fund, our deacon fund to help people in need. We take that collection Every time that we celebrate communion together, just want to remind you that'll be happening in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, Jeremy, come close us in a song and uh, let's worship the Lord even as we prepare to dismiss today. Guys, you can head back to your seats. Let's stand together as the musicians come and prepare to sing. Let's stand together as we close this morning focusing on the goodness of our Jesus. our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. 
The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for his honor and for his glory.